Hello and welcome back to Prog Notes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Deloused in the Comatorium by the Mars Volta. If you've never listened to our show, our goal here is to educate and hopefully inspire our listeners to uncover and learn about music from the progressive rock archives that you may have never heard of or want to learn more about. Um, if you're coming back to our show, we always want to say thank you. And if you enjoy what you hear today, we would be very grateful if you shared the podcast on social media and or leave us a review on your listening platform. And always be sure to subscribe so you always be notified when we launch a new episode. Um, so, Drew, I want to go into a little bit of the uh, uh, kind of the back, I, I guess, some of the history of the band as well as the album. Is that OK? Do it. Perfect. Um, and then we can jump into the, kind of our opinions on the record and dive into the more of the, the musical aspect. But just some historical context. Um, Delouse in the Comatorium was first heard June 24th, uh, 2003, released by the American prog rock band, the Mars Volta. Uh, this was their debut album. The Mars Volta roots are actually found in the band called At The Drive-In. Um, the Mars Volta singers Cedric Bixler Zavala and guitarist Omar Rodriguez Lopez began to mess around with their side project called De Facto. Uh, they ultimately quit At The Drive-In in 2001, and the remaining members created the band Sparta. Uh, De Facto then moved to the Mars Volta and then released Delaus, produced by Mr. Rick Rubin and the artwork by Storm Thorgerson. Um, if not familiar with him, those are those are two big names to have behind yeah. a debut album. I mean, Storm Thorgerson. I mean, he did the uh, he did the Dark Side cover from episode two. He also yeah. did the Tales of Imagine Tales of Mystery and Imagination, which we did on episode ten. And uh, and Rick Rubin is known for doing just dozens of records, um, a lot. But anyway, uh, the lineup for the record ended up being Cedric singing. Omar on guitars, John Theodore on drums, who is now the drummer for Queens of the Stone Age, uh, Ike Owens on keys, uh, who actually, he, he actually died back in uh, 2014, but he ended up doing work for Jack White. Um, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is on bass. More on that later. And, uh, and Jeremy Michael Ward with effects and sound design. And he actually also died less than a month before the album's release from a heroin overdose, uh, which, wow. according to what I've read, actually might have saved Cedric and Omar's lives because they quit afterwards. That was, from what I read, that was kind of like the final straw for them to stop doing drugs uh, was this guy, this guy dying. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit of the uh, kind of some history kind of set up who this band is but before we get into our opinion on the record uh drew you probably have some uh critical reception on the record or or uh yeah what people thought of it what, what do we have what, what's what's everybody else saying about this thing oh is that was that was that my homework or something hold on oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, my, yeah. My papers here I, I i swear oh my goodness i just had it i shoot um my dog ate it i'm sorry Shoot, the dog ate my homework. The dog I'm ate sorry, the homework. Miss Lebansky. Whoa. <laughs> who is I don't that? know who that is, but that's new. Okay. That's new. The reception. Uh, yeah, all yeah, in yeah. all, this was a very successful album for them. And what's pretty crazy is that this was their debut album. Yeah. There aren't many bands where they come right out of the gate and they're so successful. The, the one that I think of other than this is in the Court of the Crimson King and how much critical reception that got. And... 
that we even said in that episode, a lot of people consider that the first progressive rock record. That's kind of what makes, I think, part, that's part of what makes In the Court of the Crimson King so remarkable to me is that it's their debut album. Yeah. And this is kind of similar. You know, I don't know of very many, you know, first first records that a band makes and it's like this now granted like you had mentioned in their history they had worked together before at least the two main guys yeah uh, I, and, and I, they did have a prior a prior career from at the drive right right and well granted most of these music i mean you know so did frip right i mean giles right. giles yep. and frip but um it's still pretty impressive that you get a group together for the first time. And even if you've worked together before, it's an entirely new project. You're entering into it with a different mindset. You've got different players. You've got, you know, a different personnel, totally new, uh, to make your statement, um, uh, as a new identity yes. and for it to be such a success. Yeah. So uh, that, that, that's pretty crazy. But, um, just diving back into how people saw it. Uh, I always like to go on Prague archives and I encourage anyone who listens to our, podcast to go on there as well because it's a really nice clean concise centralized database for a lot of progressive rock including bands um and including albums and the subgenres of prog uh yeah. they have a, quite an eclectic list there and kind of go into history of each of these subgenres and why they're called that in terminology so anyway. including eclectic prog yeah, exactly. So uh, that was not uh, like a plug or a sponsor. We don't get anything from them. They're a totally free online thing, but I just wanted to shout out to anyone who might want to dig more into Prague. It's a really nice centralized database. Anyways, um, and I'll always like to see uh, what the re the reviews on there are. Um, not every time do I mention on this show, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Anyways, um, all that to say, this got 4.19 stars out of five from user ratings on here. 44% of people gave it a perfect score of five stars. That's a that's a wow. lot. That's almost half of the people gave it a perfect score. Um, wow. In October of 2006, it was number 55 on the Guitar World list of the 100 greatest guitar albums of all time. Wow. It is. It was, when it came out, number 39 in the U.S. Billboard charts, and in the U.K., it was number 43. Pretty significant, again, for a debut album. For a debut album, yeah. Um, in 2014, readers of Rhythm, the drum uh, magazine, voted it the ninth greatest drumming album in the history of progressive rock. Wow. Which is saying something. Because That's a key part top of- Top 10? Uh, it was the ninth greatest drumming album- Dude. In the history of progressive rock in 2014. So That's I don't crazy. know. I don't have a subscription to Rhythm, so I don't know- if that list has been updated or, or whatever, but in 2014, sure they do it annually. Uh, that's still pretty crazy to me. Um, especially because a key component of a lot of progressive rock, um, I think lots of people would agree is we've mentioned in our first episode and throughout, uh, virtuoso is a big thing, virtuosity and everything. And that uh, really shines through on drums for a lot of the bands. So, uh, there's a lot of phenomenal drumming on a lot of different progressive rock albums. Oh, so the yeah. fact that this kind of made it as the ninth is really incredible to me, especially because yeah. they're new. Um, you know, they've got to compete with a lot of other phenomenal musicians who have come since. But anyways, uh, Rolling Stones has it as number 25 on the 50 greatest prog rock albums of all time. Uh, in fact, the subtitle for that list is pretty interesting. The subtitle for the list when it says, you know, 50 greatest Rolling Stones, the subtitle is from the court of the Crimson King to the Comatorium. 
So that's pretty interesting that we covered both that they mentioned in wow. that subtitle. I thought that was kind yeah. of fun. Yeah, they can, um, wow. To give people context, that list of the 50 greatest prog rock albums, that was, uh, that was published on uh, June 17th of 2015. So again, a couple of years have, have gone by. Um, I always like to read, uh, I mean, so, so far I've just done numbers. Uh, I always like to give a little insight. Destin, are you cool if I, I actually read what people have said about it rather than just numbers? No, absolutely. Yeah, I would love to hear. Because, gotta, this, this, because this record is, I mean, obviously, this has gotten a lot of uh, critical acclaim. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, curious, I'm curious to see what people are, it has, what, what they're enjoying about it. It has got a lot of critical acclaim, but I'll say, and I think a lot of people agree. In fact, you'll see this on a lot of the reviews I'm about to read. It's a tough pill to swallow. But a lot of people yeah. seem to really like it. It's I feel like it's one of those things where it's a cult classic. So the people who like it really like it. But yeah. uh, I'll go into that a little bit more later. Um, Alternative Press said, like all great albums, Deloused in the Comatorium takes multiple listens to absorb. And even then, you're probably not going to have a clue as to what Bixler's raving about. <laughs> um, yep. Which is yeah, true. Yeah, that's kind of um, true, yeah. Q Magazine said, an audacious, bold, and provocative artistic statement, an album that raises the bar for any rock band who aspire to rewriting the rule book. Mm. Um, I thought I would also mention it's also in the book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. So that's pretty interesting. Holy cow. Um, it is, yeah. Uh, I, I, on all music, um, there's a user on there, and I really enjoyed what he wrote. He wrote this back in 2016. His name is Tim Posse. Um, Deloused in the Comatorium is a spectral aural overload of a record, but it manages to also be catchy and compelling and enrapturing at the very same time. Although the Mars Volta would go on to continue hammering away at concept prog record excess in the years and albums that followed this, they would never again hit upon such an inspired collection of actual songs. For all the free jazz and overblown excess of these tin tracks, and believe me, they do sprawl, there is a cohesive overall feel, and each song is itself a well-written and tightly executed gem. If you're going to start somewhere, it begins and ends with Deloused in the Comatorium. Hmm. Um, the official review on that same website, on AllMusic, uh, that yeah. was just a user, and I really enjoyed what he had to say. The official review was written by Johnny Loftus. Uh, and he said, while deloused in the Comatorium may well remove the stigma from Prague and art rock forms, it suggests... And it's certain, uh, and is certainly a monument to unbridled creativity. It can also be seen as bombastic and indulgent, much like Prague has been in the past. Um, I would agree. So, yeah, I would totally agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to read one more. I know I've said a lot, but it's, yeah, I, I always find these reviews interesting. I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Um, no matter where you stand on Prague Rock. Um, oh, sorry, real quick didn't cite this one. This is from, this is from you discover music.com. Uh, it's from uh, someone written. It's written by uh, Wyoming Reynolds. No matter where you stand on prog rock, deloused in the comatorium helped to push the genre in a different direction and bring it to a new generation of fans, opening the door for fellow alt proggers like the deer hunter. And thank you scientist in the process. So I, hmm. I'm not familiar with those other groups that they mentioned deer hunter. I'm familiar with thank you scientist. That's a, yeah, they're they're uh, an interesting group. But yeah, so so I've gone through that. I think the rest is going to be kind of the notes we have on all this like like our 
personal notes and everything. But uh, yeah, that's what other people I'm, have had to say about it. All in all, it was very well received. I did see on Prague Archives one of the more recent reviews of the album was scathingly negative. And you're going to get that with any piece of art. You're going to get some people who absolutely hate it and some people who love it. And I think this is right. a pretty polarizing record. I, I can understand why people wouldn't like it. The person who hated it said, uh, <laughs> um, look at this. I always want to write a bad review. I feel like it's wrong or offensive. In this case, I feel like the music is the music is wrong and offensive. It's not hate. It's not that I didn't give it a chance. I simply cannot listen to this. It's impossible for me. Every highly rated album will receive a bad review at some point, so that takes my guilt away. If you like this album or band, do not continue reading because it will be raw. This is probably the most unbearable album slash band I've ever heard. The hmm. aesthetic is so immature. The hysterical mood just grinds my gears. The singer especially makes me want to punch him. So hysterical, so pretentious, and everything is so fast and loud it makes me feel like they don't have any taste for music. Like they composed this just for sport. Like they were faking it, pretending they were going to write a revolutionary modern album. But it's horrible. An insult to beauty and ugliness too, because ugliness can be an aesthetic, but this is not the case. So many people rated it five stars. What the heck? The most overrated album in Prague archives is this one I have no doubt one bothering star so uh, anyways wow. just uh, wanted to add uh, a little critique in there um, yeah I, but, I I'm gonna go I'm gonna go ahead and put I'm gonna go ahead and make my statement on this sure it is from everything that you just read I agree with both of them like both sides yes like I, I, agree. I agree with both sides 100% um, I, I think I do too. Um, this, like I said earlier, is, is a bit of a, a tough pill to swallow. It really is. And I think, Destin, you and I haven't uh, talked about it that much, which will make this episode interesting because I'd love to hear your thoughts. But yeah. we did talk a tiny bit, and I think both of us agreed that it grew on us. And yes. that's yes, what it did. The, first, the first review I read, I think, said. It said, like all great albums, it takes a couple of listens. Uh, um, yeah. Yep. So... Yeah, you gotta you gotta enter into it with kind of an open mind. You you really do if if you want to find any sort of appreciation for this. Um, but um, it's incredibly unique. I'll give them that. This is a unique record. It's it's in, it's different. It really is. I and that's that was kind of like why I agree with both sides. I can I can see clearly both sides of like both right. opinions being the. Oh my gosh, this is incredible. Oh my gosh, I absolutely hate this. I can see that. I I'm literally like my actual opinion, I'm not trying to be just unbiased because my biased opinion will be said in this episode, but I I am sitting literally in the middle. That that is my opinion on the record. Like I'm right, right in the middle of it. I I'm not I don't think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and I also don't hate this at all. Right. Um yeah. Which is uh, gonna make these these conversations really interesting because I can probably put both sides of the argument out there for everybody. Yeah. So let me say this: as I listen to it more and more musically, I really started to appreciate it. It's a different. It's a yes. very different flavor of Prague, but it is Prague. Yeah. It is Prague. So that that was one thing. When I first heard this, without any sort of research before this, just totally first impression coming yep. in, completely new. The first thing that came to my mind was this is like a fusion of prog and punk. Punk yes. prog, if you will. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Um, 
that's what I felt. The energy just found, sounded a lot, lot like punk. What did I write down? I said the vocals have a very high range and have a very youthful, rebellious spirit to them. That reminds me of some modern pop punk, sorry, pop punk groups that I've heard yeah. in passing. Um, the tempo is very fast uh, in a lot of these songs, and they also have very quick, choppy, distorted guitar chords and riffs, uh, which is pretty indicative of a lot of um, punk music. But yeah. I think kind of what delineates that a little bit from metal to me, because there's a lot of distortion, is that it's it's a little quicker and it seems to, to ride the higher frequencies, the treble, a little bit more than metal does. Metal just kind of sucks you into this wall of sound of right. Everything around you is like a wall of flame or a wall of sound, right? That's yeah. what I hear when I think of metal, not just death metal, any type of metal. It's just very in your face. Um, and, and and I just I hear a lot of lower frequencies, like lower guitar chords, with a lot of metal music um, that I have heard. But this seems to veer more on the side of travel. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I, I would I would say that this this album definitely has a wall of sound um, that they that they throw at you with this thing. But like, it's uh, it's weird. I I, I, I guess there's. I don't know. I guess one of the biggest appreciations that I would have over, over th to to this album over something else that may lean more in the punk area is the amount of musical depth. Like, yeah, the 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 very like uh, pop prog or not pop prog pop pop punk as well as punk music is that there's just it's just I don't know. My personal opinion on on some of that like true punk music is that it's just shallow. Like, yeah, it's energetic, yes. but it's shallow. Well, it's, it's not refined in any way, shape, or form, and that's the, and in fairness to that kind of genre slash movement when it was coming out, that that's exactly what they were going for. They didn't yeah. want any artistic statement or any preconceived thought. They just wanted raw spirit of who they were yep. put out through the medium of sound of music, yeah. and yeah. so that's what that was. So, you know, yeah, no, hundred yeah. percent. But that that's that's the one thing that I think I separate this from some of the other records that may um, have that same sort of vibe and energy is, is the amount of musical depth. Like in well, hard rock, think... like you, you have a lot of uh, like doubling guitars and you know, that create the create this, this wall of sound that just hits the listeners with just a ton of audible force. I mean, that's, that's a lot of like modern rock music is just like walls of guitars and sound effects and compression to make it just smack you in the face. And uh, although this does have that 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 vibe and that energy, it doesn't doesn't have it, it doesn't have a ton of that. Rather, I mean, it just there are a ton of like overdubbing guitar lips and like and they're almost all different and they almost all use different effects too. Well, and see, that's that's why I don't. It doesn't sound to me like a wall of sound. And maybe 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 yeah. this is my misinterpretation. When I think of wall of sound the first thing that comes to me is everything kind of mushing together and then the vocals on top like that's what i think of a wall of sound i can't right when you're looking at a wall i can't in the sense where like you can't you know you, you don't identify each each brick isn't different you know what i'm saying it, it right, all kind right. of sounds like the same and even if yes you have different instruments the way that the drums play with the guitar and a wall of sound in my mind i can't really delineate there's nothing really unique about that instrument 
that's being played because it hmm. all kind of seems to mush together. So it's hard to delineate with this record. Yes, there's a lot of sound, but there's a lot of different elements that you can oh, hear. Yeah. Dude, there, and, there's a ton of movement and different sounds that you can nitpick out of the record. Yes. And so, yeah. and, and again, that's why it requires multiple listens because you can identify a lot of different things each time. So Anyways, uh, yeah. I'm probably belaboring this point, but no, no, you're, that's that's good. Yeah, I, um, I think on top on top of all of that, though, on top of like you know the the overdubbing guitar licks, I mean, the riffs are quite good, and yeah. audibly from from a guitar perspective, in my opinion, I really I really enjoyed it, and and the drums are powerful. Like the yes. drums are very powerful. The, the guitar have a lot. They're just a lot of over, overdubs. Yeah, they have. Yeah, great feel. Good use of dynamics. There's a lot of like, I like the Latin jazz stuff. And I also like uh, in some of the certain lower, uh, like softer parts of the record, I think the drums play the part well. And I think John Theodore did a great job of doing that with the different rhythms, um, like uh, like Aria Tarka and Take the Veil Serpent Tax. Like right. extremely impressive from, yeah. the, from, a, from a drum perspective uh, and, and guitars. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, and, I think... Like I said, uh, I just want to go into why I think it it is progressive rock, why they're labeled that. At the very least, this record is. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and I think you, you touched on it a little bit, but yeah, the complexity of the drum parts really sticks out to me. That was the first thing I noticed. Uh, that was a, a key element that, again, we hear in a lot of prog music. Yeah. Um, the drums. Especially were, at those fast tempos, dude. Like, are, that's yeah, a they're lot fast of tempos. Yeah. And that's they're, hard. They're weird time signatures right they're yeah yeah, yeah. oh definitely stuff, and they're putting in very unique and creative parts in there the chorus of area tarka those those hits on i don't know if they double stacked some symbols or if it was a china or something but um i think you know what I i'm think talking it was a stack. about symbol stacks yeah i yeah. think it was a symbol stack but i think you know what i'm talking about right um, oh yeah are you talking about area tarka yeah area tarka oh yeah during the, the chorus oh um, yeah that that's some weird stuff that I really tried to kind of like after I listened to it a couple of times, tried to like, you know, air drum to it, tried to like get the hits right. And figure like, it out. Yeah. 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 Figure it out and the counting and how it all happens, but it's, it's, it's bizarre. But so, so the complexity of the drum part stuck out to me, which is a key element and a hmm. lot of prog. You don't have to have it. I mean, crud pink Floyd, I consider as prog as well. And that's very simplistic drums. Yeah. Uh, comparatively. Um, but it's the thing that happens in a lot of other records we've covered. So I thought that was uh, a big part of it. Yeah, it definitely um, it's also a concept out. album. It's also a concept album. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. We can get into that later because that is a giant uh, in and of itself. Huge piece of it. Uh, yeah. But this was a concept album. Just I can give the brief concept, and then we can go a little bit more into it later. If, uh, but the concept is that this character Serpent Tax, he's the protagonist. He enters into a week long coma after overdosing on a mixture of morphine and rat poison. And oh, nice. Yeah, that's a good combination. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> before he's doing that, he's contemplating suicide. And spoiler alert, at the end, he ends up killing himself. The The journey he went on through this kind of insane internal journey in his mind that was very, very bizarre and disturbing had did not change his mind. And he ended up killing himself anyways. So uh, oh, that's nice. Th yeah, it's a very depressing, dark, disturbing album if you're looking at it from a lyrical standpoint. But uh, they do have very fantastical worlds that they build. A lot of nerdy prog bands did that when they were first coming out. Rush created Megadon, which is yep. where 2112 is set. Um, you know, they did the stuff with 
you know, I mentioned on our Neil episode, the hemispheres thing, they went into the different world that Cygnus enters into, which is like Greek gods and all that stuff. I mean, right. Right. Um, yeah. Pink Floyd does a lot of conceptual stuff. The story of the wall, right. That's set in a really weird, bizarre place where you enter these, you, you encounter these bizarre characters and yeah. Anyways, very, very conceptual and cinematic and story centered. Uh, yeah. This album is again, we'll go into that later. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, another thing is the songs are pretty long, which is also a staple of a lot of progressive rock pioneers. Um, and yeah, I just shortest, want to say the shortest top. one sits at like four and a half minutes. Yeah, it's long. I mean, you know, the longest one is a 12 minute and there are a couple that are seven minutes and there's another that's eight minutes or eight yeah. and a half. So they're longer length, you yeah. know, they're longer. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to say, this is just really small, uh, but I definitely hear some King Crimson and even Genesis, like guitar tones and sounds that they mm. have in a, in a, a song like that, this apparatus must be unearthed. And right. then I also hear uh, some Mellotron, which was a big element. Yeah, first, huge. Yeah, when Prague was first coming out in uh, Take the Veil Serpent Taxed. Yep. So very, very, very conceptual. I think that's a big part of what makes this Prague. Um, but anyways, I just wanted to go yeah. through the, the reasons as to why. So anyways. Yeah, no, I I would agree. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different, a lot of different, um, especially from the the lyrical, uh, content as well as the conceptual stuff. Yeah, it's it's a concept album. I I think that, I mean, it's weird. I mean the the, the way that they they because the way that the songs flow through the album. There's ten songs in the entire record, but the every single song, maybe not. Correct me if I'm wrong in this, but I think every single song flows together. Uh, like there there's a seamless flow throughout every single one of the songs, um, which is, I didn't, uh, I didn't really notice that so, for some of them for sure, but I'm yeah. not sure about each of them. I could be wrong. Possibly. Possibly. I'm not, it sure. didn't I, seem I, as seamless as like something like dark side. No, not, not at way. all. Yeah. It was, it was, it's funny. It's like we have, let's have some sound effects, a song in the song with some sound effects, which will transfer into the next song that has some sound effects. Then we'll have yes. the song. It, it was kind of like that. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. that's how the songs were seamed together was yeah. just by sound design from Ward. But um I, I think that the uh the vocals on the record is as, as you were talking about just the lyrics, I just got thinking about the vocals. That was definitely the biggest thing that I had to get used to when I was listening to this. And uh because it, it actually let me get it may sound crazy because I like early rush stuff and and Led Zeppelin, but there's just this I don't know. When I first listened to it, there was this character to this voice that just made it sound like a really like immature, angsty teenage boy, kind of like, um, like uh, like Fallout Boy or like My Chemical yeah. Romance or or, or even like, like uh, even like uh, Panic at the Disco. At the Disco. I thought yeah. you were. I was waiting for you to say that one. Yeah, Panic at the uh, Disco. <laughs> all all of which music I'm uh, not a massive fan of because it just kind of reminds me of what people listened to when I was twelve, but. You know, after listening a few times, <laughs> after listening a few times, the melodies started to grow on me a bit, honestly. And and the high tenor voice grew on me a bit as well. Like one thing for certain is that I could not imagine this album with with a different voice. Like it, yeah. it fits the yeah. energy and the texture perfectly. Yeah. Like it's it's solid. Um, and so there's a lot of individuality with with the vocals, and which I really enjoyed. But even even carrying on from there to an, another one, just an opinion I have about the the record as a whole, is that I, I don't know. Maybe I think, 
and, and this is this is this is where my uh, negative side is going to come out just a little bit um, about the record. And and maybe this was maybe this was the case, maybe not. But something that they might have done with the record is mistake sonic piling for complex architecture. Like there are okay. no melodic themes carried. Uh, none. I mean, you'll you'll probably find yourself in this, you know, passage of dripping noises like cicatrices or like a, a neo prog math rock jam session like take the veil serpent tax right mm-hmm. where like it almost even sounds like it, it just gets lost like where is this song even going it, it's just the song just forgets itself and then the opening riff and the chorus blare back on you're like oh yeah it's this kind of deal gotcha you know some so i could i could see how some could be frustrated by that but you can also hear the charm in it as well, I suppose. But it, um, yeah, it just it just kind of uh, drifted and just got lost a little bit. But there was just, yeah, like tons and tons of stuff just stacked and stacked and stacked and stacked and stacked, which could be mistaken for like, even though there are some complex time signatures and stuff like that on top of there. I just wanted to make that mention that because that was one of the things that I heard that I was like, this just feels like you're just somebody's going to get lost. And especially with the lyrics on top of it, somebody's definitely going to get lost mm-hmm. and, and have no idea where this is going to end up. And so um, I could see that side. The negative side of – now, now, for somebody like me, it was, uh, it was nothing that I couldn't handle, I guess. But for some other people, I could definitely see that being the case. No, I, to- I, totally, uh, I totally see what you're saying. I, I think – I think I have more to appreciate about this record than I do have to grieve about it. Uh, or rather, let me say grievances. Yeah. Uh, things to complain about it. Um, I think I appreciate it more than I... Uh, surprisingly so. But there are definitely some some issues I have with it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but this was... I think I liked it because it was new and it was not prog metal, which is what, again... we previously mentioned on the show is what like modern prog seems to have become though i am so happy to do this show because i lots of the records we have done uh thanks to either suggestions from fans or destin even from you uh has really given me a different perspective and you know yeah. not all modern progressive rock is prog metal it's just i feel like that's what's the loudest right now that's what a lot of people that's what a lot of people dig um, or yeah. have gotten the most attention, maybe because the metal fans have been kind of enveloped into the prog sphere with that, you know, with the happy medium of prog metal. You know what I'm saying? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So, um, so maybe that's why I just hear about it more often is that metal fans have kind of tangentially been exposed to prog with stuff like Dream Theater um, or, you know, tool or something like that yeah so yeah i think they, um, they've just kind of taken over the popularity yeah you know what so, i mean from, from a from a stance of just like music musical texture i think that's just what people are into and i think honestly because of what was going what's going on around this time right you know i mean well, i mean think think about what's going on think about what's going on in the rock scene in america in 2003 actually no, 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 uh, let's talk more like progressive rock you know in 2003 which for me i i don't and you may you may know some, but I don't know a whole. I don't think America was doing so hot in the early two thousands. Prague. No. I, well, know, uh, hold on. I mean, I mean, 
there's a lot that we haven't discovered. And I'm sure That's some true. fans can totally yeah. correct us. But you know, was Spock's beard around at that point? Oh yeah, I mean, I well, they were. yeah, they were. They released uh, "Feel Euphoria," uh, yeah. which was the which was the first record without Neil Morse. Right. Um, but I mean, OSI, they were getting their start. Um, King Crimson, what did they release? To, the Power to Believe, they released that right. in 2003. But that's not American. That's uh, not oh, that's American. right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm trying to think of another. Uh, I mean, American well, prog uh, in general, even for, ever since from true. throughout you know true. the history of all of progressive rock is. I mean, and that's part of the reason we had people vote on those three bands. Right, they were yeah. all American. Right, American we had bands. Foxbeard, Dream Theater, and then this one. Yeah, and they decided this one. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting, specifically in America. I mean, specifically in America, I think you had you had OSI. I think Frank Zappa, uh, Spock's Beard. You still had yeah. you had Neil Morse, Dream Theater, uh, Coheed right. and Cambria. Yes, um, Are they Americans. Yes. Oh yeah, Coheed okay. and Cambria. They're American. Yeah. Point yeah. being, though, Prague was not doing so hot in the early 2000s in America, and uh, and I mean outside of it, I mean shoot, yeah, you had King Crimson, Opeth released their seventh album. Um, Riverside was getting their start. Um, right. Spock's Beard, yeah, they released Feel Euphoria, uh, Muse. They released Absolution in 2003. I think Dream Theater released Train of Thought. I mean, again, um, Muse is, is is British. Yes, exactly. I'm talking outside of America. Outside oh, of America you're just talking now. about progressive. Yeah, yeah, Riverside, No Path, they're not, they're not American. Right, 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 um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it was not... It's nice. It's nice to have a reference from that era now, and and know something from the early 2000s that I'm at, in, in America that I'm like I, I like this. I haven't dug into it as much. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I haven't gone into Coheed and Cambria, and Neil Morse, and, uh, and Spock's beard. I'm that sure we'll much. do a Coheed and Cambria. At some we point. probably will at some point. Yeah. Uh, as well as Spock's beard, and 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 we'll definitely get the Dream and, Theater at some point when we get when we uh, uh, right. build up the courage to do it. Right, um, because it's <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot, um, uh, and we'll probably do images and words for anybody who's listening. If who's a Dream Theater fan, we will probably end up doing images and words at some yeah. point. I mean, um, I feel like that's the the entry point. For it, I, a lot of people yeah. because of how big it was. I mean, it, I, you know, this is coming from two people who yeah. have have never really delved into Dream Theater that much. So that's true. Good. That's true. Yeah, uh, but. This I I appreciate it a lot about this uh, is that they really did try to do something different. I feel like I had mentioned earlier, it's a very unique record. Um, I, musically, I actually really liked it. The more I listened to it, I liked the energy of it, and it wasn't commonplace. The music was not complacent. In a yeah, sense. I would agree with it, that. It, yeah, that's it a good dynamic. word. It was not. Were, yeah, very. It, it was it was dynamic. There were lots of different moods. Uh, I, it didn't bother me. So you seem to be bothered by it. It didn't bother me that. I don't think they changed it too much because they did have a chorus. They did have some type of melody in each song that you could kind of grab onto, or for oh, yeah. most songs that you could grab onto that they repeated again. It's not like so different where there's no structure to the song whatsoever. Oh, yeah. But it did, it, it, it was different enough for me. And they had these cool little breakdown sections, which a lot of prog rock does. And then they go back to the main riff. Like, that was cool. And they have a lot of energy. There was definitely talent going on on all the instruments on all fronts. Um, yeah, 100%. And it was, it was interesting to listen to. It was interesting to listen to and enjoyable. The riffs were very melodic. They were fun. They were complex. So musically, I, I, I really enjoyed this record. 
Um, yeah. And even the vocalist, it didn't bother me as much as it did you at the beginning. And you said you got used to it, but I didn't even mind the vocalist that much. I see what you're saying where it kind of mm -hmm. is reminiscent of some of this kind of pop punk sound. Um, I don't know how to describe it other than that. When you listen to that timbre, it just reminds you of that kind of stuff. It does. Um, and yeah. And maybe that's probably my reachiness and rawness. I feel like to the early yeah. pioneers that you alluded to earlier, like Getty Lee or Robert Plant. Yeah. Right. There's a bit more screechiness to their yeah. voice. And maybe that just seems more authentic in a way. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I know that's kind of like, you know, I mean, garage bands aren't recorded in a garage. You know what I mean? Like that, that, right, that's, a, that's right. a sound, you know, and, and people right. go after that sound. And I think that's a, I, I would, I don't know. I would, I would not say that this is that kind of sound. I think this is very well. Um, well, this was orchestrated. Yes, very well orchestrated as well as as mixed to a uh, like, it, it's it's not like, you know, Nirvana or Queens of the Stone Age. It doesn't have that kind of garagey feel to it. But um, and and when and when I was talking, I, would, I wanted to make a point to what you said a minute ago. Um, the point about where the 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 melodic themes are carried. I was I was talking from the from the 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 stance of a concept album like there are none throughout the record yes within each individual song yeah there's like what will we'll return to a, a verse we'll return to a chorus but overall through the entire record there's no really and i may be wrong there but there's no like not a whole lot probably melodic themes or m musical motifs that are carried for okay. this being yeah. for this yes. being a concept album that yes you know, you know what i mean that's that's a story that's based off of a story book and a novella or a novella called Delau's in the comatorium that that cedric wrote um i i didn't see that so that, that that's one thing that people I see what you mean especially yeah. especially in like musical theater and and as well as um you know some other some other concept records i see what you mean like yeah, yeah. yeah yeah like a like a callback or yes. yeah, yeah like, like you said good term is musical motif i see yes. what you mean yeah definitely um do you want to try to talk about the concept and the lyrics? I feel you like know it's what? unavoidable. God bless. God bless. Let's just whatever. Um, it's basically uh, it's it's basically you could just relate it to Coldplay. Holy crap! Shoot. Okay. So I'm, well, let's I'm, let's go ahead and start. Let's go ahead and start this. But but uh, the, uh, the the names of the songs, okay? Because that that's that's like what what are we looking at here? Um, you know, Sun at Lumiere, Inertiatic. ESP, Roulette Dares, The Haunt of, Tear Me, A Las Aranas, Drunken Ship of Lantern. Like, what is what does some of this stuff mean? I, I have a couple of them. Like, uh, I know Sun at Lumiere is French for sound and light. Yes. Um, and I think, and Serpent Taxed is the the protagonist. Yes. I mean, yeah. What kind of, what? That's the what? Yeah. yeah. I mean, whatever. Uh, whatever. That's his name. That's his name. We'll just stick with that. Um, Tierra Mia Las Aranas is slightly misspelled Spanish for throw me to the spiders. Um, Cicatriz Esp, um, Cicatriz, or uh, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing that incorrectly, is Spanish and Portuguese for scar. Um, this upper, the, you mentioned this song earlier, this apparatus must be unearthed, is a, is a play on the warning frequently found on guitar amplifiers and other electrical equipment. This apparatus must be earthed. Um, that's all I could find. I know that you found what ESP stands for, and I'm going to go ahead and let you take that away, Drew. Here's Drew. Oh man, hold on. Let me let me let me look down here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. ESP. Yeah, go ahead and explain this. In, in this sense, for this concept album, it's not alluding to 
what did you say, Destin? Extrasensory perception, which a lot of yes. people see to like people who think that they are psychic or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, ESP. Yeah, or that no, that's what most people think of when they think of ESP. No, in this sense, it refers to ectopic, shape shifting penance propulsion. Welcome to chemistry class. So, oh, okay, <laughs> it just okay. Like Apparently, this at least the I don't know what cicatriz is. I I well, it means honest, it means scar. It does, but I, I don't know what it means in the sense of the story because I'll be completely transparent. I didn't I didn't finish reading all it's like doing my homework. I didn't finish reading all this stuff. And I'm not gonna feel that bad about it because I think it would take another hour and a half to really dig into all of this and all of the story. I mean, I'm not even kidding. This is oh, a yeah. very dense record because you have Lyrically. to analyze every single thing. There's nothing in here where it's like, cool, that's clear cut. That lyric means that. Yeah, mm-hmm. just like normal words you would say or poetry that you can understand. No, or this is to. like everything is a metaphor, everything. And uh, the only reason I even know semi what they're talking about and the only reason Destin knows this is because we went online and looked this up by avid fans of the group who just yeah, absolutely adore this record and yep. who are like look this is amazing these lyrics are fantastic you, you know you'll you'll appreciate lyrics so much more after you hear this because you know people who think that these these two guys are absolute <laughs> un- geniuses uh yeah complete <laughs> geniuses <laughs> and which is so pretentious it's just it's, like yeah, just because i don't understand it and where, i have to dig through it it makes yeah, it so good <laughs> yeah exactly and that's where that's where it kind of it lends to the stigma that Prague gets a lot of times that it is pretentious yeah and in fairness it can be uh, you know even some of my favorite bands and some of my favorite records yeah there's some pretentiousness this one pushes the envelope for that i think from a, a, a lyrical and a conceptual standpoint, part of me wonders if they're really trying to be cool and they are pretentious or if this really was their artistic statement. And I, I want to try to be sensitive here because I don't think we've mentioned this yet. The character Serpent Taxed is loosely based on uh, Cedric Bixler's Zavala's friend, Julio yep. Vinegas, who committed suicide. Well, I don't know if it was, it was, it was premeditated, but he overdosed on morphine. He did, you know, that that was the way he died. I I have a feeling it was suicidal in a way just because of how dark this record is and the fact that it alludes to suicide a lot of times. So I want to try to be sensitive to the fact that maybe this was their artistic statement and it was inspired by the loss of a friend. Um, And, you know, Julio Vinegas with a name like that, I'm guessing, and the fact that they were, um, you know, these two guys are from Texas um, and everything. They're close to the border, uh, you know, I think they kind of introduce or not introduce, but include their, their own heritage, their cultural background, their Hispanic with like, you know, Tira, May, Alas, Aranas. I'm sorry. My Spanish is horrible. I can't speak it, but they, they have even phrases in this little storybook that they do that are in Spanish. That are in Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. So as well as, as well as the, uh, the, you know, the congos and the bongos. I mean, even from the uh, the rhythmic side, they have, they have some of that stuff going on. So I feel like uh, at least in, in, in a little sense, this is kind of pretentious. There's no getting around it. But I think there was some um, genuine thought that went into this and some actual th- – this wasn't all just show, right? This was they, – they wanted to include something that was them 
and there's at the very least some authenticity in that um, and the fact that it was based on such a traumatic experience for them yeah so but going back going back to anyone else from the outside looking in if you don't know that context this is pretty pretentious oh, yeah. uh, because they just use so many archaic words yes so many words that when they're mashed I mean well here's the deal Here's the, what did I write down? I want to read what I wrote down. I said, I don't understand any of the lyrics. They use a lot of archaic words and a lot of advanced vocabulary, but none of it makes any sense. When you're looking at this without, without like the, the crib notes, let's say that, without someone explaining it to you, it's absolute nonsense. It seems like they just chucked a bunch of cool words onto a page, but there wasn't any real meaning behind it. Admittedly, that's something that I might do. Um, I don't, <laughs> I know there's supposed to be meaning to them, uh, you know, there's a storybook that I alluded to earlier, um, and I want to thank you, Destin, for giving that to me. Oh uh, God, dude! Because you found that I think somewhere I, online. I did. Well, it's it's a. It's what did a, you What did you say to me? You texted me and you said, "Good luck with this. this." Yeah, good luck. Or with have this. fun with this. Have fun yep. with this. Yeah, yep. that was hilarious, I, and I didn't I, know what you meant. And then I opened it up, and I'm like, "Oh, that makes a lot of sense." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's nuts. And by the way, and then I'm going to plug this real quick for everybody. If anybody is actually if, if really, really, truly interested in the, because we're not going to go in. I mean, we probably, golly, I spent so many hours reading about this stuff. And I was like, I'm not including this on the episode. We could have a freaking three-hour episode just talking about this stuff. Yeah. But if you're interested in it and want to learn more about it, this cryptic story, um, there is a storybook <laughs> slash novella called The Laws in the Comatorium by Cedric. I have the PDF. If anybody would like to see it, you can email us. Um, if you'd like to read it, email us. Prognotespodcast at gmail.com. I'll send it to you if you Fair really want to dig into this thing. Fair warning. I figured that this storybook would help immensely with the concept. No. It, it, it is helped. just no. as nonsense it, as the lyrics. It, yeah. It's, it, it is. Uh, hey, do you mind if I read an excerpt? Let's go, go right ahead. In, in, the words, in the words of Ben Shapiro, it's just okay. absolute nonsense. Shoot. Okay. Um, the. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm t- see. I'm t- actually trying to wrap my head around this because it's not how you would normally read. No. No. Okay. No, no. Yeah. Here no, we go, it, dude. It's so cryptic. It's, Here we it go. Really is. The jettisoned ground seemed damp with lethargy, crisp with eggshell walks. Careful not to graze the taste that grew restless, mouthing off this sleeping leviathan. Without question, adorned by the heckling winks of the vagrants, Serpin made his way to the jaundiced-colored boxcar. It looked like a prescription bottle filled with tablets of multicolored seagulls. Nice. Um, trapped inside were the shrieks of lap-steel cackles. Half-purse, half-tree-stump unearthed were heard. It sat there maliciously, waiting with splintering inner jokes. And then it has something in Spanish, si no te importa, me duermo. Aki coughed serpent, ready to close shop, shrinking his styes. Three corneas, two feet, septic skin, and gimp swagger crooned one vagrant. And so, so that's just a little bit, that's not even the whole paragraph. This is dense. This is very dense stuff. Uh, I have a feeling that if you really like this stuff and you want to get into it, then maybe you can get a lot of reward out of this. You can find some oh, yeah. really cool story here. But it's 
it, it, it's an exhaustive amount of effort that you have yeah. to go to. Yeah. To you think do the it. music is dense? Try the lyrics. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's it, one of it's those nuts. things. And that's again where it kind of it's, it's kind of pretentious. It's yeah. like, look, you've got to relate somehow. I think. To yeah, your I mean, audience. I can't, I can't even. I mean, I, I get that, that you know, there's, there's some of the songs that, uh, and and stuff that you would like, that is, you know, it could relate to on a personal level, but also the other side. And we mentioned this on our on our tribute to Neil last episode is like his lyrics, you know, when he wrote in the '90s, where it was like it was just like also really relatable, but that his earlier stuff was actually very also very intellectual, and you could like, oh, I, I yeah, this is a, this is a cool concept, this is a cool idea, this, this is just. I, I I don't even know where to put it. I can't relate to it. I can't understand it. So what it, is it? it? Here's to me, it reads a stream of consciousness. It does. It just sounds like right? a five-year-old just talking it, words it, that he just learned. Right. It comes off his stream of consciousness. And here's the positive to it, though. While I wish it made more sense, there are some really interesting phrases in there that spark some imagination, some pretty vivid words, and okay. I, the, the way they combine certain words that you wouldn't normally combine. I actually kind of appreciated that. While it's nonsense, it's absolute nonsense, but sometimes <laughs> poetry, no, poetry can be like that sometimes. Yeah, I actually oh, yeah, really definitely. enjoy that, where you have like this phrase and you're like, what? That, what does I, no one would ever put those words together, but that that's very creative and imaginative, and you start thinking about what that phrase would mean to you, and that's where you interpret it, and that's where it you know, starts to place some meaning or some image in your head, and that's art. That is art. So in that sense, they, they, they really push the boundaries of language, I think. And I appreciate that. Yeah. There's so I will give it credit Spanish there. and English. Yes, that they kind of mix the two together. And I think yeah. sometimes they even do some Spanglish stuff in there. They write, Probably. I, I could be wrong, but I think I was reading some of the stuff and it seemed like part of the sentence was English and part of it was Spanish. So anyways. Yeah, um, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It, I, it I listened. I listened to an interview um, with, with Cedric about the Mars Volta and, uh, and their music. And uh, it's interesting. And I, and I mentioned this to you the other day um, about their influences. Like, what, what, where, where is he getting these ideas? Is, is he just really that nutty? Um, right. But I, I was reading, I was reading about, um, or not reading, but I saw this interview with Cedric and Omar. He was, he, they were both there. They were talking about their biggest influence. They weren't actually bands, but filmmakers. And hmm. uh, that's that's what they that's what they mentioned. They were like, you know, we. Our, our inspiration comes from filmmakers, not really bands. Like we don't want to try and sound like other bands. We don't really get inspiration from bands. But you know, if we if we see a movie that we like, and you know, it, it makes us feel weird or a certain way, we we try to we get inspiration to try and go create that feeling. And uh, and I actually I went ahead and took the initiative to look up some of these films that they mentioned as some of their influences. Obviously, none of them that I knew, um, but I I found a lot of them were actually like 1960s, 70s Spanish indie films. Most of them right. in black and white. Um, weird stuff. Some some weird, weird stuff. I saw a trailer for one of them. I did. I went down this rabbit hole for like two hours. I, I looked up one of them. I looked up a trailer for one, and it was just weird. It was, it yeah. was, it was weird. And it, it's... There's nothing else. There's nothing else to say other than that. But, but I did find that. Be, I, I found that to be very, very interesting. And I've also, I've also dug into. Um, there's, there's a, a YouTube video out there if anybody wants to go look at this. To, to um, if you're really interested in more about Cedric, 
as well as his musical style and stuff like that. This guy has a ton of knowledge about underground music. And uh, there, there's a there's a YouTube series out there called What's in My Bag, and uh, they take musicians. Have you seen this before, Drew? I have not. You know, um, what they do is they, they get musicians, all kinds of different, from different genres, whatever. Um, they go to a record store and uh, they pick out records that they really, really enjoy. And then they sit down with them, they interview them, and they pull out the records that they chose and they talk about why they chose that record and the store. And most of the time it's because of a, a personal attachment or an influence that they got from the record or about their musical taste or whatever. And, uh, and I watched the episode on Cedric. He, Cedric has an episode of What's in My Bag. And, uh, and this dude was pulling out some weird, weird, some stuff I've never heard of before. And, and it's so funny how much he knows about all of them. But he, so this guy's like, he's into super underground music, underground, like, like underground pop music, underground uh, rock music, as well as punk music and, and some stuff that's uh, like a underground, like Beatles sort of material. Like the dude knows a lot about underground music, people that stuff that you've never heard of. Um, but it's interesting. Right. Um, this guy's personality is as well as uh, his just who, who he is as a musician. He's, he's a very eclectic, interesting person. And, uh, and I, so I can, I can see the, uh, the artistic value and side to him and what he brought into the group. It's interesting. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it's, um, it's a very dark album too. And I'm trying to think, cause I was thinking, Oh, I'm not totally sold on this. And there's a lot of different elements and this would be an episode in and of itself. It'd be like yeah. a, an essay, but I was thinking, I was like comparing this to the wall, which I love. I love the wall by Pink yeah. Floyd. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, you know, why, you know, there's a lot of reasons. Again, this could be an episode in and of itself, but I'm thinking, why do I love the wall, but hate this? They're both kind of insane. They're both kind of weird. They both have really weird characters. They both have some concepts that aren't totally relatable. Sure. <laughs> that yeah, they're more, not more on the intellectual side. Right. Uh, and to be honest, the wall in and of itself, I love it, but it doesn't really make sense. The movie makes less sense than the music does. That's true. So, you know, what, why, why do I love the wall and not like Deloust, uh, as much? Um, I think it's because there's marginally more sense to the wall, even though it's still insane and kind of out there. You know, my um, reason would probably be, I can understand I what Roger Waters is saying. Right. Well, okay, that's true too. Like lyrically, you like you I, can hear I, yeah. what he's actually saying. I cannot you know? hear a word. But never mind. I mean, I can I can pick up a few, but without right, the course, lyrics, but... without the lyrics in front of me, I I can't like automatically pick up right. what the heck Cedric is saying. Right. It's just difficult. It's just difficult to do. I, st I still can enjoy the the mood and the power and the energy that he brings with how he sings the lyrics because I still enjoyed the record without knowing the lyrics or without knowing what the heck he was saying. I was, you know, musically as well as just what he brought to the table. I was like, Oh, this is cool. Um, right. Although it took me a while to get there, but eventually I got to the point where I was like, Oh, this is interesting. Yeah. But anyway, I got a question for you. What, what's what, I, because we haven't even mentioned this. What, what is your, what's your favorite song on the record? Do you have a, do you have a favorite or like top three favorites or just one that sticks out to you the most? Probably Area Tarka. I really like that one. The chorus yeah. of that one, just I really love the melody. I love the drums in the chorus. 
so Airy Tark is probably my favorite. Uh, I do like Take the Veil Serpent Taxed as well. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting song. The I, jam I really at the end it. of that one's interesting. It's yeah, fun. the way it ends, it's the whole fun. record ends is very interesting. That. You know? Yep. That's really cool. I really like that a lot. And I actually kind of like, let me look through the list here. I actually like. Um, I, I like a fair chunk of these. I like some Sun et Lumiere. I like yeah. Energiatic ESP. I actually like Roulette Dares a lot, too. Yeah. Um, there's a fair portion of this that I like. Cicatriz yeah. that we're listening to now, the parts where it's a bit more energetic and less ambient. Yeah. Um, ding, 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 it ding, ding, has ding. some very interesting rhythm. Yeah, I love that rhythm. Ding, so ding, cool. Ding, 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 ding. Like, that's, that's really cool. So... Those are the ones that stick out to me, but Ariatarka is probably my favorite. Yeah, I would have to agree. Mine's probably the exact same. Ariatarka and Cicatriz are probably my two two favorites, but I also really enjoyed Drunken Ship of Lanterns as well. That Drunken Ship of Lanterns, yeah. Yes, that one's solid. It's got a lot of cool elements in it. Sticks out to me in the nose. Yeah. Yeah, some and very honestly, interesting that's, melodies. And yes. Very, yeah. I was literally just about to say, I was like, that probably the biggest reason why I, dr- I like Drunken Ship of Lanterns the most is is because of the vocals. Just, I can attach them a little bit more than some of the other songs. Right. Because, I mean, it's it's balls to the wall on this entire record, musically. And, yeah. uh, and so I, that was one thing I attached the most was that, was, was were the lyrics and how they were sung. Yeah. That's great. And I got a funny story for you as well. This is, this is so, this is so weird. I used to have this Pandora station, like, for for years, I had this I had this Pandora station that was uh, like prog rock and and it it was like months and months of me like uh, you know like thumbs up thumbs down thumbs up thumb, like on every single song, so it was yeah. like it was really specific to like oh this is what Dustin wants to listen to, and uh, it was so weird because I remember uh, all the time on my Pandora station Sun at Lumiere would play. This was this was like six, seven, eight years ago, huh. and and but but they never played another song. I've I've seen this record. I've known of this record. I knew exactly that song every because I've listened to it a thousand times on my Pandora station. I knew exactly what Sun at Lumiere was, but I never but it never played any other song from the rest of the record on my Pandora station. It only right. played the the minute and thirty five second intro. Which, by the way, is a solid intro to an it album. It is. It's really cool, actually. I really, really enjoy the yes. Sun and Lumiere is is really interesting song. It's, yeah. it's it's a good it's a good intro to a record. Oh God, I love I love the way he's like babbling in this. It's kind of John Anderson act. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Um, oh my yeah, I, I have to say, I just want to touch on something I, I mentioned earlier, the fact that it kind of, one of the reviews said uh, it opens the door for fellow alt-proggers, right? It it, it, it pushed the, yeah, it, the, the review also said push the genre in a different direction. And I, I have to, I have to agree with that. I want to give a small anecdote before we end um, on our discipline episode when we reviewed discipline by king crimson i mm. mentioned that i presented the song elephant talk 
for an assignment for a history of rock <laughs> class back in yeah. college. Uh, and it was something to the effect of having to, to show a song to a class and give just some history behind it. When it was released, what record it was off of, which band, why it's important to you. I don't know. And maybe a fun fact about it or something like that. Right. And I remember one classmate chose a song off of this record and I honestly couldn't tell you which one it was, from this but one? I remember the, from this record. From yes. Delows? Oh, wow. Yes. I honestly, I, I couldn't tell you which one it was, but I remember knowing the band name. It's the only oh. thing I remember about that. And, uh, cause I, before, well, because before he had presented it, I knew about, I knew about, I've known about this band for a while. I've heard the name. Let me say that. I've heard the name of the Mars uh-huh. for a while. And I've heard yeah. that they're kind of modern progressive rock. I've known about them for a while, but this is the first time I had actually listened to a full record. Um, so, uh, but I remember the album artwork, right? When this guy, cause when they presented it, they would usually pull it up on YouTube. Right. And so the album artwork was on the YouTube video. So I remember it was a song off of this record. Uh, but I, I don't know which one it was. I couldn't tell you. I can't remember. Wow. Um, he mentioned that this record was prog rock. And when I heard the music for the first time in the class, the energy and the vocals just seemed so hyper that, it, again, it reminded me more of like a post-punk type of feel or something like that. Um, at that time, I hadn't heard hardly any modern prog at all. But uh, oh, yeah. I see now that it's definitely prog rock. Um, still to this day, I have an inclination to only think of prog rock as when I first was discovering it. So bands that instantly jumped to my mind are still Genesis, Rush, Pink Floyd, ELP, Yes, King Crimson, etc., etc. But yeah, I, I am so thankful uh, for this show for exposing me to more modern progressive rock albums because we—that's what we're trying to do for people listening, but also as the the host and everything, and you as well, Dustin. This is yeah. stuff. It's really cool. I just want to say thanks to the fans for suggesting this and for continuing to suggest things. Yes. Because it gives me a different perspective and it expands the genre even more for me. And I love that and I appreciate that. I I think it's really cool uh, that, you know, we're learning stuff and hopefully you are too, people who are listening. So this is a a really cool project. And uh, let me put it this way. I, I didn't think it would be this uh, expansive for me from a perspective point of view to expand my perspective um, when we first talked about doing this show. Yeah. I, that was just something I didn't really foresee. And it, it wasn't because I thought I knew everything already. It was just at first I was like, oh, we'll do stuff that we know. And now that we're doing stuff we don't know, it's really cool. So, yeah, um, I enjoy. Oh, it's been good. Yeah. We've, I mean, we've listened yeah. to some, we've listened to some stuff that we never thought that we would ever pull up. No. And I mean, I never thought I never thought I'd pull out a Tool record. Nope. Never thought yeah. I was going to do that. And, and, <laughs> and, and we did Lateralis on what? What was that episode eleven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, never thought that we were going to interview a Chilean band, which yeah. I really enjoyed. Uh, yeah, that was a episode. really really neat opportunity. Yes, that we were fortunate yeah. to do that. If you guys haven't listened to that, they're cool guys. Like. They really, uh, they they are the show. They they are the show on that on episode fourteen. Isles, uh, we we did their record, their double uh, LP, uh, Hawaii, Hawaii. and uh, really really cool. But yeah, I would agree, dude. There's there, we've gotten we've gotten through a lot of interesting music, and we're gonna continue to do that. Please, guys, just keep sending us music as well. I mean, it's. It's it's awesome when we uh, when somebody recommends, and that's what's really cool as well. I don't know if you've noticed this, Drew, but like all of the recommendations that we get are 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 stuff that I've never heard of. Yeah, 
most yeah. like every single one of the recommendations that we're getting in our email or on our on our Instagram are all recommendations that are like, oh, I think you guys would really like this. And we've never heard of it. And that's awesome. Yeah. And, <laughs> it's, and that's awesome. And you can totally do you that. You can totally do that. Oh my I'm sorry. Goodness. That's a dumb yeah, inside it's, joke. It's great. Yeah. But it's fantastic. So <laughs> thank everybody for, for continuing to send our stuff. I, I, and my, I would agree with you. What you were saying there is like, it's, it's expanded a lot more, uh, different types of music that, and, uh, that we've listened to as well as, and can appreciate and also draw inspiration from big time. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's, oh, here we go. We got to play this. This is so eclectic. One person's going like, oh my gosh, this is sweet. The other person's going, what the flip is this? Yeah, yeah. You know, but that... I really like that part, though. Oh, dude, I... Oh, and it gets so jazzy here. This is really cool. Yeah, dude, this is the the breakdown of the song. This is the breakdown part of the song is where it just gets awesome. But by the way, Flea on bass, Thoughts, I... Oh. It seemed replaceable. It, he yes. seems replaceable. Sorry, no, yes, no, 100%. The bass is great. Like, it's really solid on this record. It's locked in. It does what it needs to do. But, uh... It's so yeah, overshadowed by the overdubbed guitars and, and Cedric. Everything. Everything. Yes. The uh, drums, no, I totally everything. agree. I totally it's agree so that weird. it's not... It's not the most notable part of the music, but it, but but it's still they still have some moments in the record where he kind you know he kind of shines even if it's not the most complex stuff. Yeah, it's it's the focal point. So every now and then, but you're right, the majority of the music no, it's not like Rush where the bass is clearly evident or like yes the, with the crunchy guitar tone you can like, totally tell yeah. that that's a very prominent part of the music. No. Yeah, this just has a couple moments here and there, and for the rest of the record, it seems kind of it subdued. Plays the part. So, yeah, plays the part. It's it's very bizarre. And then another uh, fun fact for um, all the Mars Volta fans, and and they probably already know this, but um, the guitar player from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, oh, oh crap, what's his name? Michael uh, Frusciante. Oh crap, Frusciante. Is that his name? I don't know. I don't know. I forget much his about name. The, the I forget his name. Peppers. They know. People know who I'm talking about. Um, he provided, I think, backup vocals and guitar on Cicatrice. So two guys from the Red Hot Chili Peppers are on this record. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, I believe is is thanks to Rick Rubin, um, because I think he he, he he's produced he's wor- oh yeah he produced a ton of their stuff prior. Um, the, the 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 story that I want to know is how in the world did these guys get caught up with Rick Rubin as well as Storm Thorgerson? Like where did, where did they get this? Guy? I don't How know. did they get these two guys? I don't know. I don't Me know. Either. I'm sure that there's some story out there. Yeah, I tried to look for it. I really did. I tried to look for it online. I couldn't find it. Could not find where it's from, what they're doing. But anyway, dude, I want to keep the episode going just so we can listen to this freaking jam. <laughs> it's a very cool jam session. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. Here we go. You know what's so weird about some of the songs in this is that I, I, I'm listening to this stuff 
And you, you're, you're sitting, I'm listening to it, and you know, I always try to foresee what is going to come next. You know, and, and I'm, think, I'm always thinking of the structures because I, I try to think about listening to this music as if I was writing it, right? And like, what would I do here? Have you ever tried to do that before? Yeah, every now and then. Yeah, it's like, I'll, I'll be listening to it and I'll just go, you know, okay, I'm, I'm writing this song. Where would I take this? I'm listening to this song. I don't know where it's going. Where would I go with this thing? And dude, I got surprised every time with this album. It, it's just the way that the way that they just move between the movements and the different moods and how to get like especially in, in one part of Drunken Ship of Lanterns, like it goes into this like little instrumental section and then goes back into the chorus. And I'm just like, how are they gonna get back there? How are they gonna do it? And somehow they do. Like somehow some sort of some sort of musical con- construct it, it just it makes it work it's very bizarre and we talked about that on on the riverside episode of like one of the hardest things about prog music especially from a writing standpoint are the transitions yes and and making sure that it's just like oh that section just ended or well and the record just kind of ends the the record just kind of ended or yeah it's just oh yeah it's like this section <laughs> I'm talking about this ended. record yeah it yeah just, this this just ended. this just ends um, the energy just stops it just stops yeah and uh maybe that has to do something with sort of the the um the death of the character the death or of the character yeah or something yeah like i think that. so um yeah he just died by the way oh um, sorry serpent sorry serpent okay let's wrap this thing up let's get everybody on the road here <laughs> Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the in the comatorium um thank you guys thank everybody for listening to the podcast these are our prog notes on the um if you enjoyed the episode learn something new from the episode please subscribe and share follow us on instagram at prog underscore notes um we always post up videos um as well as little uh, sneak previews of every single episode that we post um, you'll also see on our Instagram stories, you'll be able to vote on certain episodes as well. So be sure to go follow us at prog underscore notes. Um, we can communicate with you guys through there. We love hearing from everybody who is listening to our episodes as well as the suggestions that we get. Um, and you can also email us at prognotespodcast at gmail.com. Um, if, and especially if you want to, if you uh, once again want the, uh, the story behind the album, the storybook called Delows in the Comatorium, by Cedric Savala, um, you can email us at prognotspodcast at gmail.com. I'll send the PDF over to you. Um, and you can also find it online, but you know, it's uh, it's free. But anyway, um, you can also leave us a review if you liked or disliked the show. Really, really appreciate that. Drew, uh, next next episode's gonna be fun. Tell us why it's gonna be fun. Uh, I think it's gonna be fun because we're gonna have my sister Rachel back on the show. Rachel Brown. Rachel Brown. Rachel Brown on the show uh, when we do our next album, which will be "Hand Cannot Erase" by Stephen Stephen Wilson. This will be interesting because I think this is the first one where it's not a quote-unquote band. It's where they come out and they identify themselves as like just one artist. I mean, obviously he worked with other people, but yeah, um, you know, this will be interesting because it's not a band. It's it's a guy. This is the guy who is kind of the the main creative force uh, behind Porcupine Tree. So yeah. Yeah, it'll be fun. And Rachel joined us on uh, Tales of Mystery Imagination. She joined us on that two-part episode, and she just brings a, a wealth of knowledge, uh, as well as our Sergeant Pepper's episode. Um, right. So this will be interesting because she doesn't know this record, and neither do I. So this will yes. be totally, totally new for uh, Rachel and Drew. Yes. But 
she'll add a very unique perspective and we like that. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to be definitely talking about, uh, females in Prague. That will be a, uh, a topic that we may discuss briefly or extensively. I'm not sure yet, but join us next time as we discover the past, present and future of Prague rock. We're going to end this episode specifically with our personal favorite from the album, Aria Tarka. Thanks for listening.
Hey guys, if you stuck around this long and listened to Ariatarka, we really hope you enjoyed it. We always want to express our gratitude to our listeners, so if you decided to stick around this long, we would love to include your input on the next album that we talk about on Prognotes. Shoot us an email at prognotespodcast at gmail.com with your personal review of Hand Cannot Erase by Stephen Wilson. Your review just might be mentioned on the episode. This could be an album you've never heard of or one of your favorites. It doesn't matter. Thank you again for your support and for following our show, and I'll hear from you soon.